Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. All right, this week we get to hear from another one of my all-time favorites. It is British singer-songwriter Nick Hayward. So as most people know, Nick starts out in the early 80s fronting Haircut 100. They put out one album with him called Pelican West in 1981. It's one of my favorite albums of all time. It has a few hits in the UK, but really only one in the States. This one right here, Love Plus One, that reaches number 37 in 1981. Now, he's really only in the band for a relatively short amount of time. And we talk about in here what happened, first of all, and how even to this day, uh, despite him being one of the greatest British singer-songwriters of the last, like, 40 years, that short stint in Haircut 100 really overshadows, in a lot of ways, the rest of what he's done. And it's unfortunate. Uh, over the years, he's put out maybe half a dozen solo albums. All of them are great. His first one, North of a Miracle, is a masterpiece. And his most recent, which came out last year, Woodland Echoes, that was his first album in almost 20 years, by the way, was one of my favorite albums of last year. It is beautiful. To me, he's one of the best that's ever done this, ever. So we have a lot to talk about in here, and he is so funny and so great. And I gotta tell you something, for whatever reason, I had it in my mind, and I don't know why, that he didn't do a lot or any media. I've wanted to reach out to him for a long time, and I just thought I never did, because for some reason I'd convinced myself that he wouldn't do it. But I gotta give a huge thanks to my friend Steve Cooper, of the Cooper Talk podcast because Steve had him on recently and we were talking about that. And through his encouragement, I went after Nick and Nick agreed to come on and I'm so glad that he did. So anyway, thank you to Steve and a huge thanks as always to Nick. Uh, he called me from his home, his girlfriend's home in Tampa, Florida. So I, I actually, I don't normally do this, but I want to start out talking about Woodland Echoes because that was my number three favorite album of last year. And I know you care deeply oh. about how I feel about your, about your music. Well, but well, I, well just, I do because it's rare. It's very, it's a rare thing that, that anybody has it in their top anything. I mean, well, yeah, especially, do you find in America too? I mean, are, are we, well, you know what? That's a big topic. I'm going to ask you about that later because, you, yeah. you've, you've always been more of like a cult figure over here, unfortunately. But why, you know, this is the first album under your own name that's come out in nearly 20 years. What was it about these songs at this time that felt like the right move? Well, it I'm guessing you're was... kind of a prolific songwriter. You're one of the best there's ever been. So if you're going huh. to sort of silence yourself or, you know, take it down a notch for 20 years, there ha I'm assuming that, Maybe you have been writing the whole time and, and didn't feel strongly about some of it, or these particular songs rose to the top over these last 20 years. I don't know. But, you know, one of the best well, comes back. These, these things must mean something to you. Well, they were just the... I've recorded 25 songs and then okay. picked 12 that went together. So I, I had a lot to pick from, but it, some of them just really didn't go. So they were the 12 yeah. kind of chapters that made the story work and it it did feel like a story when i was putting it together i thought wow this mm. almost has like a beginning a middle and an end mm. and it is called woodland echoes and it is the story of uh well it's funny because i slipped into metaphor pretty quickly when i was asked to explain the album to my promotions company mel 
Mm-hmm. She said, can you write me a brief synopsis of what it is? So I was meant to write, you know, it was recorded such and such, and, you know, these musicians were used, and this was the process. But I sort of went straight into, it was a story of a man who, although he'd found universal love, he hadn't found romantic love. And so he lived in a beach hut by the seaside, and his life had kind of passed him by, but he needed to leave the beach hut in order to find romantic love, because you're not going to find romantic love in a beach hut unless you're on the internet. And even if you're on the internet, <laughs> even if you're internet, you've got to go and meet them at some point. Yeah. So, so he gets the hand of time uh, on on his shoulder, and so he leaves the beach hut. And when he turns around and looks at the beach hut, which he spent most of his life by the sea, you know, almost thinking he was a lighthouse, but he was actually a beach hut. Beach hut. He turns around and it's a cuckoo clock, and he realizes he's a cuckoo uh, bird. And then he flies off, and he flies off a mountain. Anyway, the story goes on, and I thought, what am I doing? Mel is going to go nuts when she hears this. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know that I read any of that into this album as I was listening to it, Nick, but yeah. that's, really, that's still really good. <laughs> Those were not well, obvious it. themes to me, but uh, <laughs> if you well, say it, so. It, <laughs> Well, I suppose it was my interpretation of it. It was, okay. and I didn't even realize it was my interpretation of it when I was recording it. I was just doing what I did. So when I was in, say, say like, the love is the key by the sea. I recorded when I went to, we moved into, Sarah and I, my fiance, moved into a little cottage in, because this was done in like a series of little rental cottages around mm. the UK. We went to a place called The Rise, and uh, it was unlike another rental. It was, it was made of real wood. And oh. you know, normally rentals are normally, you know, the flooring is laminate, mm-hmm. and the walls are magnolia. And everything's done as bland as possible for renters, so that you know if they when they mess it up, then it can just be painted magnolia again, and then next 
next round for. But this was this was uh this was lovely. This was she mm. she'd actually made the cottage herself and she built it out of oak wood. So that we had a solid oak staircase up the centre of this tiny cottage and mm. all the beams were exposed. And in the summer when you just opened the windows it was just filled with bird song. And it was it was beautiful. It was in a little valley wow. by a by a pub called the Crooked Billet, which held lots of jazz. Loads of people. In fact, I heard Wild Woolly Barrett um, singing mm. one night, playing his, his guitar. I thought, I, I thought I know that. I know that guitar. What, what is that guitar? You know. Yeah. It's that kind of stuff where people wow. when people play in local pubs. Yeah. Uh, Realise that they they had. Anyway, I, I used to go there and uh, see loads of... Ma- Martin Stevenson played there one night, and uh, he huh. was brilliant. So I got to see lots of people as well. Anyway, I digress. This was a brilliant <laughs> place, and this was where... Sounds I it was about 2011, 12 or something. I, I thought, I'm going I'm to start with a song, and I'm going to finish this song. Uh, mm. I'm just going to write it down, and I'm going to print it out in lyrics, and I'm going to say, this song, Love is the Key, By the Sea... It's going to be finished, and so I worked on it at home on a keyboard, playing around with it, and then got it and started that recording process. Okay. Uh, okay. Now you so, you sang it quite like that. I mean, in those tw- almost twenty years that you were sort of stepped away, were was there writer's block happening? Were you was the plan always to like retire basically, or was was there just nothing, the muse was not hitting you hard enough, and you just thought, well, I'll just sit here and wait until it does? Well, the, the muse is, is pretty much always there. In fact, since 1998, since creation records, it, the muse mm-hmm. was really close. I'd, I kind of plugged into the muse. Oh. I was spending lots of time with the muse. I, I was bathing with it in the bath. It was popping <laughs> nice. all over the place. I was, it was like poetry was starting to happen, and there was prose just pouring out. Yeah. It was everywhere. It was, lo- it was lovely. But it didn't coincide with the music world. Mm. Creation had just dropped me, and in those days, it, it meant there wasn't a, the internet, so you couldn't yeah. go and just start just recording, and, and so yeah. you needed to have backing. So after Creation, it was... You know, I had the decision to sort of go and do the whole thing, which I've been doing most of, through the 90s and 80s, which was making a record, getting dropped. Making uh-huh. a record, yeah. getting dropped. Making a record, yeah. getting dropped. So it was it's quite an exhausting process to go and get another record deal. You know, you had to do demos, which you had to pay for yourself, and normally you run out of advance by that particular time. Mm-hmm. Um, so... It was going there and believing in yourself again and launching yourself. And if you didn't have a manager who was constantly through these times, which which I didn't, normally you'd leave it up. Say if you did have a manager, they would exhaust their connections and then you'd have to get yeah. another one. They would exhaust their connections. So and it was at a time right at the end of the 90s, I suppose, yeah. when, and as, as uh, Alan McGee had said, guitar music was dead. And so it mm. was just not good time for me as an, as an yeah. artist. I wasn't. There was no record companies that were going to sign me, and that stayed around till beginning of that was around 2000, 2001. It just became mm. a very unlikely thing that I would I would get signed. Yeah. So I was yeah. still writing. Okay. Uh, the news was still there. Everything was. In fact, I thought I was going to become a 
a sort of writer. I thought I was going to really? write novels at that point. It was flowing so much, and I started writing wow. stuff, but it, I didn't have, I wasn't taught, you know, I didn't have yeah. a background for writing. So getting it into form was quite difficult. It's not like a pop song where you go, oh, I know what to do. I kind of yeah. to get, you know. I didn't even, didn't even know that the writer has an editor. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, I, was right. To, I was trying to do it all myself and just, yeah. you know, so, so that okay. was, um, that was an interesting time. And then the internet started to happen, MySpace. Yeah. And so I was great. It was great as an artist. I was uh, sharing music. Um, yeah. So yeah. I was, I was okay with that. I thought, this is great. I don't have to sign to a record company. And, and you're probably sitting back. I mean, social media now, your fans come to you. You can you know where you stand because you've got, you know, 12,000 likes on Facebook or something like that, you know? These are people who care about me and what I'm doing. Well, I, it was, it's reconnecting with your fans because up until that point, uh, when Sony and Creation dropped me, um, they take your database, which is your mm -hmm. connection with the fans, and you have to buy the database, which is a lot of... Really? Quite a lot of money. Yeah, so... I didn't. Uh, I couldn't afford to buy the database, so I didn't have a database. So for many years, I was not connected to the fans at all. I didn't. Do, I, you know, I thought, how do I get to them? I didn't even know. I mean, if you played a gig, you couldn't even get to them. There wasn't the internet there. So, you know, wow. How do you get? How do you I get never to knew that. Fill up a gig. You know, you just. I mean, yeah. I played once. I played quite a few gigs, and there was just absolutely no one there no. because they weren't promoted properly. Oh. It was just me turning up to a gig and speaking to the guy who said, hey, come and play here. And so I thought, yeah, yeah okay. But there was no way of letting your audience know. So it was just a, whoever would walk past, I suppose, would oh. see it. So oh. but that changed. That changed throughout the decade and uh, yeah. in my space. And, and now the database is just, you, you know, you, I didn't yeah. have to pay. But it took a long time to reconnect with them. Yeah. So... Uh, you have, oh. I have an, an audience now, like a painter has people that buys his his sure. or painting, and sure. uh, that that makes you think. Well, I'll paint some more. Then this is really good. I can do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is what okay, I can so do book. When the morning sun arrives, like a beacon from the sky. When the morning dew is here And the afternoon is clear When the flowers heal the days And the blackbird sings my way When the sun shines on the rise There are bluebells in your eyes It's a beautiful morning
is the floodgate now open? I mean, are you, is Woodland Echoes, you're not going to wait another 19 years before we hear from you again, are you? No, and it's interesting, actually, because my fiancé is, is uh, I've got two great things that, that worked out. Uh, my son became a sound engineer, which Good. You know, I, did, I didn't pray for uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> much. Right. <laughs> right. He's, he's, he's a brilliant sound engineer. And my partner, Sarah, ran a record company, so she knows how hey. to put out. Nice. So, so it's, it's really lovely now. So yeah. we're just, um, like now we're putting out a single, um, and we've just, you know, I, I do the sleeve, and Sarah hey. does that, the other side of it, and so we're, All right. we're just like, oh, okay, so we can actually, it's not uh, rocket science to put out records. Yeah. So we're putting out records now so we're glad some hawk the label will be up and running and and uh, we can put out song, singles because we know because we can it's yeah. lovely there's nobody sure. stopping stopping you doing that right you know it doesn't matter that they don't there's no there's no chance of them being hits now yeah but it doesn't matter you just put them out because you love a single you love the way it looks and feels right and you love what it is and so we're putting out a 10 inch um, clear vinyl single, and just because we love the process of doing that, I mean, it's going sure. to break even, but it it means that we're doing what we love doing. Yeah. So. Oh, that's great. Family. Good, 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 good. Perfect. Okay. So we got to talk about Haircut 100 for a little bit. First of all, do you? I mean, you were in that band for a relatively short amount of time. Do you ever get feel like it's this? thing that just won't leave you alone i mean you left in like 1982 and now you and you know i think but you're still you still have to talk about it all the time does that ever bother you are you sort of like you know i've put out lots of solo material that's just as good can we talk about something else please you couldn't have known when you stepped away in 82 that you'd have to answer for this for the rest of your life no i didn't I, i didn't think that actually um, and it does get like that. I've, I've had thoughts where I just think, well, shall I not talk about it? Yeah. And just have a, like a line in the sand and say, because the more you talk about it, the more it's keeping it alive. True. Oh, good out. point. If I yeah. do these, if I do these uh, shows where I'm just focusing on the early part of my career, because it's you know tonight, Matthew, I'm Nick Haywood from Hair Girl 100, and I'll sing, I'll sing those songs that people know. Yeah. You know, which, which part of my set I will do, but it's part of the set and it's at the end and everybody expects it to be at the end where it is. It's right. like reverse order when you play live. You do the, you know, yeah. I don't know why that is, but it's backwards. Your career's backwards. Uh-huh. So, you know, you do the new ones first and the old ones last, you know. Yeah, yeah. I've tried it the other way, but the evening does feel a bit odd. <laughs> Even... I <can> imagine. <laughs> So, I, yeah, I've, I've thought about just saying, okay, I'm going to make a decision and not talk about it and not... It's a bit like I'm still laying down bird seed and the birds are coming and I'm not too happy with the birds that are coming to the bird feeder. So uh-huh. don't lay the bird seed down in the first place, Nick, and the, <laughs> right. the birds, those, those birds won't come to the bird feeder. Yeah, so, yeah so that's it's, a good yeah, idea. It's an interesting one because it's not that I don't have fond memories, as, as I can imagine... Some of the band have. They must have yeah. fond memories of that time. It all depends how some people perceive their past. True. 
people now, go into worms. Yeah, you know, right. Some people go. Some people like centipedes. Some people don't like digging in the soil at all. Some people, you know, it's, all depends yeah. on what sort of gardener you are. When I was, uh, I recently listened back to your interview on the Soder Jerker podcast, and uh, you were relating a lot of those songs to. This is what your you and Les and the other guys sound like when you start to play funk, and uh, it got me wondering. I mean, I did you guys set out to be a funk band, or is that what happened? Was that a lark? Like, ooh, we're actually when we get together and play. We're actually pretty good at this. I mean, were you listening to a lot of Pig Bag back in the day and uh, um, thinking, I, I could do what Pig Bag is doing? Well, it was easy for Les because Les was a funkster. He was mm. he was into Shalimar. Uh-huh. And, you know, being a bass player, lots of bass players are into funk, naturally, anyway. Graham was into the Clash, so there was mm. no funk there at all. Mm. Um, and I was into Talking Heads, so the and Earth with right. a Fire. So I I did have, and I wasn't into the Beatles then. I discovered the Beatles, funny enough, I was quite late. It was when Haircut 100 were up and running, and I thought so. I discovered them and thought, where have I been? <laughs> um, it's <laughs> In fact, it was so, probably good reason why why the band musically, you know, were were separating because you had the the funk side of it, and then you had the more uh, Beatles singer songwriter side of it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. That, well, that's what that made you guys special. You know, it's your. You know, first of all, I I should establish the fact that I think a lot of times when people, when someone takes a classically perfect songwriter like you. They always attach the label Beatlesque because, to me, that's kind of laziness. Like, well, the Beatles wrote perfect, perfect pop songs, so let's just apply Beatlesque songwriting to anyone else who writes perfect mm. pop songs, and that kind of bothers me because that that means that you aren't you're special because they came first and influenced what you did, and I don't agree with that all the time, and so I think you stand on your own, but. Um, yeah, it's like they're, they're, they're owning everybody. Yeah, isn't it? it's like yeah. anyone who tries to do a good deed. Oh, they must be. They they learn that in the Bible. Well, maybe mm. maybe I just know that doing a good deed is a good thing. 
But I didn't need to read the Bible to learn that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so I, uh, you know, someone as classically perfect as you are, it doesn't mean that it came from the Beatles. But anyway, that is kind of the magic of that first Pelican, uh, of Pelican West is mm-hmm. your songcraft coming together with these funky grooves and, you know, bongo drums and horns and everything to make this mix that not very many people were doing at the time or doing as well as you were doing. Did you feel well, that? It, 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 was, it was the influences of the time. I mean, mm-hmm. Orange Juice were quite a strong influence. Oh, good one, yes. yes you know, to, to me, yeah. you know, I, I, I took Les and Graham to, to see Joseph Kay and Orange Juice and Isaac Camera at a gig. Mm. I, kept, I said, you know, listen, you know, you know, I've been talking about, um, you know, you know, we've been dressing up as Boy Scouts, and you know, we've mm-hmm. been, you know, you, you want to know why I look this way? Well, uh-huh. there's some guys in Scotland that are doing the same, and I, f- I feel like sometimes that happens in a country. When you get music, music goes in waves. It's like the pyramids being built. You know, mm-hmm. there are the pyramids being built in Egypt, but they're also being built in North America, and you don't know why. This is happening. It sweeps the world at the same time, and because I think this was the birth of indie music and guitar music in in, in a certain way, which then, you know, made the Smiths. You know, the Smiths mm-hmm. were growing up, and they would have heard Joseph Kay and Orange Juice. They would have heard the Fire Engines. They would have heard these bands that up in Scotland. They would have heard yeah. the bands in, in in Manchester, everywhere, and then in London. And it, this is just the way it goes. I mean, it's very quick. You, you know, I remember seeing a picture of. Of David Byrne wearing a Fred Perry, and I had to have a Fred Perry. Now, <laughs> I've been all the way through two tone and mm-hmm. not bought a Fred, Fred Perry. Right. You know, but it's a Fred Perry in a certain, yeah. a certain way. If you wear a Fred, per- Fred Perry shirt and then you have it with a 12 string, I think he had a, it was like a 12 string 335. It was like cherry red. Anyway, this picture was so. It was, it was it was quite a life one of those life changing pictures. Uh, Probably the sort of same picture that when Noel Gallagher saw Johnny Marr on top yeah. of the pops. Yeah. Those pictures where you just think, now I think that's really that's that's it, you know. So yeah, you you do that, but then you develop your own version of it. Right. That's that's music. That's what happens. It's it's mm-hmm. it's it's complementary. It really is to. Because everybody is being is inspiring everybody else, all yeah. at the same time. So through that process of uh, of then there being a cultural wave of Brit funk, it just because because we were listening, we were living in London. You're so close to what's happening and going on, you can you can sense it straight away. It's like the waves coming in. You you're an oyster catcher, and you know when the next wave is going to be going to suit you and you yeah. want to surf that wave so that's that's where we were we were sort of instant surfers ready to surf this wave and this Brit funk came over and there was the kind of talking heads clippy guitar thing going on Les's funk uh, Jones's clash thing and then mm-hmm. we needed to get some gigs and we played the only the only gig we could get was with a band called the Tropicanos Oh. And we ended up working with their brass section because they had a brass section. They played tropical songs. They were uh-huh. from, from Notting Hill Gate. And Herschel Holder was the guy that we worked with and he ended up playing on Favourite Shirt. Top, can't afford, can't afford the ride. Never 
So it's just, you know, utilizing all the things and people and in your surroundings at the time. Sure. Um, that's what the influences are. So, yeah. yes, Mark, Mark had Latin American Brazilian influences and never heard of orange juice uh, or gone to see Joseph K. He didn't have that connection. But, yeah. there's a, but there was, you know, I was the, I was the orange juice fan. I mean, I remember mm. Les sort of like being kind of, oh, okay, about them. They, they were okay. You know, that's the, uh -huh. the magic of a band where, where it's, there's many different influences all coming yeah. together to make it that eclectic sound. And I think that's what happened with Pelican West. And yeah. even then, Bob Sargent's input as well through, through being, through making the beat the way that the beat sounded, you know, so crisp yeah. and clear. That was a massive part of the ingredient as well. And yeah. you know, everybody yeah. played their part at that time. The A&R man who'd signed the beat, who, you know, saw our potential. It's, it's all, it's an amazing set of people that make right. it happen. I mean, I sometimes sit back and think of all the things that happen. I'd never want to do it again because I'd never <laughs> be able to know all those things yeah, that, yeah. that happened. You know, it just, yeah. it was so, such happy, a series of happy accidents. Yeah. Quite thrilling. So, uh, I mean, i got to ask, so then why walk away? Um, were you, I've heard different stories about it. I've heard that you got depressed. I've heard that mm. it was, you were stressed out, that you were restless, that they wanted you out. I've heard all kinds of things. Mm. Well, that was it. I, I did walk away when I should have actually, uh, there was a, a rehearsal, or a kind of spinal tap moment where your band mm. have Turned, turned on you. Les and, Les and Graham had turned on me and sided with Mark uh, on this stuff. And so it was, uh, it was, it wasn't, it was awful time. I don't know if you've ever been sort of bullied and ganged up on when you oh, were yeah. younger. <laughs> yeah. But it, it just, just doesn't feel right. You, you've got to, yeah. you either, at that moment, you've either got to fight for this thing and tell them all to fuck off and mm -hmm. maybe even fight them. Or, or, you know, put them in their place or walk away. It's that yeah. one thing. And I chose to walk away because of, you know, I went to this rehearsal that they'd been already rehearsing songs. Uh, they were going to write the lyrics. They were going to do the, all this, you know, they were going to, Mark was going to sing it. And so I kind of stood there and I thought, well, what am I going to do? Merchandising, the merch table, you yeah. know, you've got it, mm -hmm. you've got it covered here. So at that that point I wasn't strong enough because I had, I was I didn't know but this was the beginning of of uh, I'd worked so hard yeah I was, yeah was having a bit of a physical physical exhaustion and effects sure. of that mentally make you not as strong as you ca could be you you tend to walk away from things rather than fight for them yeah yeah and you get emotionally stressed and I I didn't know what it why it was that I was feeling this way. Yeah. But uh, I walked out that rehearsal room and I thought, well, my two best mates in the world have, have ganged up on me and it's yeah. awful. They can't even look at me and they can't look at me in the eye. They can't speak to me. They've been writing and rehearsing stuff and uh, don't want me in it. And you know, so I did that silly thing of walking away from my own band. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. So okay. of, course, of course, in hindsight, and that, we've talked about it since. Well, not all of us, because some. A couple of the guys tried to deny that the actual rehearsal took place and gaslight mm. you, which is which is unfortunate. Um, 
So yeah. So it's uh, it's you know it's a tricky subject. So I'd love to speak to all of them, them at once and we have yeah. it out, but it just never happened. And I think because that hasn't actually happened ever happened that that moment where you talk about the nitty gritty. Um, you can get back together and be, you know, nice yeah. and uh, affable together. Yeah. But uh, you've got to talk about the nitty gritty, otherwise you just split up again for the same, sure. much the same reasons. You know, one member will gang up on the others or not yeah. put somebody in it. And, you know, it was yeah. all, all the kind of True. strange stuff. I mean, it's funny gangs. They're really weird things. Yeah. Really, well, especially really when weird. you're young socially and you're feeling vulnerable and you've got a room full of people turning on you, that's the worst feeling in the world. Yeah, I've I mean, I've, I've thought about, you know, I should have jumped onto that stage and just said, oi, it's my band. Well. <laughs> you get back there and you do that and we're brilliant together and let's carry on. Yeah. But I didn't, you know. I, no. I was too weak at the time. Not the strong leader that I should have been. But, yeah. you know, what can you do? You just you didn't. Sure. That's the fact. And uh, but that and you know, so tell me about like the next day when you you know you left your band and history has proven that a you know a, a wonderful solo career was in the cards for you anyway. So it all worked out. But when you is there a sense of fear or even some like desperation? Like oh my gosh, what what am I gonna do now? What do I what am I gonna do? Do you have those feelings the next day when it's all kind of worn off, or are you sort of like, you know what, this is fine. I've got a bu- I've got a bunch of songs I love, and I'm more than happy to go play these by myself. No big deal. Uh, well, well, I I wanted us to. That was the whole musical split. Was I wanted us to work with Jeff Emmerich. I want. I I thought uh-huh. we were going to sound like. This was this was the plan. As the leader of the band. I wanted this to sound like Imperial Bedroom, how ah. that sounded and that landscape. And that's what I was aiming the second Hecat album to be like. It was going to be like North of America was. And I was working with Jeff Emmerich, and I couldn't get the guys into the idea. They wanted to stay with Bob Sargent, um, mm. which is probably the loyalty they had to him. I know that Mark was very close with Bob. Um, Bob had brought Mark back into the band, I think, and with mm. Les, Les's help, they kind of, I don't think Blair was involved. I'm not sure about Graham, but this is, these are details that they've never discussed with me, so I don't know. They all kind of yeah. turn the, you know, change the subject if I talk about it, and and uh, don't want to talk about it. So if they don't want to talk about it, I don't know. So I'm just guessing. Sure. By talking about to other people, A and R people that were around at the, at the time and, and things, so of the facts filled in. But I don't know from from their side. Um, but, uh, <clears throat> yeah, the next day, for me, it was more like, okay, I don't want to do the music business. and uh, But I'm going to Air Studios and, and working with Jeff. And, you know, when Whistle Down the Wind was finished, it just sounded so... It did sound exactly like I'd imagined. Oh, really? And wanted, wanted Haircut 100 to be. It, it was... Uh, it didn't one of the get greatest the songs ever. Bye. Bye. 
It got to the chorus and it, it didn't stop. I mean, in the haircut version, yeah. it got to the first chorus and then there was a sax solo. Oh. I remember thinking, what? <laughs> what? It was almost like sabotaging a yeah. a, a great song. So <clears throat> yeah. this was this was it. This is how I imagined it. And uh, Jeff made it like Town Crier, which was a vast, beautiful mm. song from Elvis Costello. Uh, and he'd just been finished work with working with them, I think, on Punch the Clock. and So Jeff was, was brilliant to work with. Yeah. Everything that you recorded sounded so good. So then I recorded more, and North America would look like it was being finished, and it, that was the, the album that I wanted the second half album to be like, but it, it wasn't, but it was close as, and I you know, it didn't have that band feel, yeah. but it did have great musicians that since became great musicians, like Pino sure. Palladino. Mm -hmm. So, who was a guy then that I just met, met in a local demo studio. Wow, I didn't realize that. Yeah, I said, do you know, it was somewhere near the Nashville, it was like across the road in a little demo studio. I said, do you know any fretless bass players? And he said, oh, I know this Welsh guy. He's just up from Wales and he's staying in London and he'd love to do a session. So, I met him and I said to Pino, well, so what are you doing? And he said, well, I'm, I'm helping out a mate who's get the recording an album at the moment with a few covers, half covers and half of his own. He's called Paul Young. Oh, and I said, right. oh, I said, oh, oh, yeah, he's great. And by the time I'd recorded North America, he, Paul had done, they'd done Wherever I Lay My Hat. Okay. And, uh, so that's why uh, there's two records with Pino, you know, Whistle Down the Wind and Wherever I Lay My Hat, both have Pino's distinctive bass. Interesting. Bass I never knew that. Yeah. Oh, I love little trivia like that. That's great. Mm. Okay. Well, good. So, I mean, uh, North of a Miracle is just as amazing as Pelican West. That So that stuff would have largely made up a second Haircut 100 album had there been one, sounds like. Yeah. I mean, okay. Down the Wind would have been on there. Uh, Club Boy at Sea would have been on there. Dancer, the one by the sea 
Were you aware, I mean, 
how, what goes into your songs being selected for movie soundtracks? Do you are you aware of this? Are you invited to a premiere? Do you write these songs? No. In both cases, I don't believe you wrote those songs for those movies. They were selected mm. to be featured. Do you see a little nice royalty? Like, for instance, I have those movies on DVD. Did you make a couple pennies when I bought those DVDs? You know? Um, well, uh, my finances were in a in a mess around that particular time, so there definitely wasn't... I didn't see any mm-hmm. money that I would have known of. And I never knew what the money was, where, where it was paid to, where it went, oh. either, what... No, so I have no idea. I just remember, you know, getting into the 90s and, and beyond and people saying, oh, do you know your song is in that film? And I'd never uh-huh. se- I hadn't seen the film, 16 Candles. So I think I saw it quite late. And oh. I was thinking, what a sweet film. I'd have really been proud of that. <laughs> yeah, that's still it, played all the time. That's one of the most iconic movies of the 80s. And there you are. It's amazing. I mean, I, I, if I played America now, I would definitely yeah. do with Down the Wind because of that. So, okay, yeah, maybe right. over the weekend now. Yeah, you should. <laughs> I love that yeah. song. Uh, speaking of playing America, it was just announced last week, I think, that you're going to be on the Retro Futura tour in the states this summer. Correct? Oh uh, no, it's not. I had to. I couldn't. I can't do it because of. Uh, it's going to be five weeks on a on a tour bus, and I, I just can't live and work. I thought it was announced you were on the lineup. I was yeah, so excited. Was, I was going to finally uh, see Nick Hayward. Yeah, and it was only to do three songs as, as well, which yeah. have probably been the early songs. And yeah, you know, um, I, I do want to focus more on. I'd rather play a little gig and do the whole set. Okay. Do do that kind of. You know, tonight, Matthew, I'm going to be Nick Hayward from Haircut 100. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm going to play. Yeah, Love Plus One, favorite shirt, and maybe with some the wind. And and love Plus One and Love Plus One. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go sit love backstage and watch time. everyone Thank else. you very much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, see, now that's not... Which is easy. No, tr- you see, it's easy for me. I can do well, that. It's very easy sure. night. But it's, and it's you get a nice a paycheck, but... I personally would give anything. I, I, was, I was so excited when you were announced because I thought, finally I'm going to see him, even though, yes, it's going to be in this strip down. It's not the ideal situation. But he, you never seem to play here. I mean, maybe I've just always missed it, but I feel like I've kept an eye out for Nick Hayward for a good 20 years now. You know what I mean? So what uh, was the plan never? Did you try, other than Kite, from your 1994 album, which got some airplay here in the States, did really well on alternative radio. Depending on who you ask, Nick Hayward is either like one of the greatest songwriters ever or a like one-hit wonder. Because yeah. you've never really, you know, gone full bore on in the States, have you? Was that part of the plan? Did no one think you could make it? What happened? There was, wasn't much belief going on. It's always been that way, really. Uh... Hmm. Yeah. Just too British. So just oh, going... Nick is just too English. He's not going to translate to the States. Well, I don't know if it was that. It was more like, I don't think you're going to be able to sell that out. And I don't think and it's going to cost too much to hmm. take a band around. You know, can you do it on your own? Uh, in fact, can you do it without anyone? In fact, that's going to cost too much. Hmm. Can you just 
maybe do a radio interview. <laughs> and so that's <laughs> you, you know. Yeah. So that's what it's been, you know. Then it was a radio tour, you know. Okay, yeah. mate, but that's a bit too expensive because then you've got to fly you. Yeah. Well, yeah, okay. Maybe one day, you know, when you can afford it. Huh. So it's ended up just being. There's never been really any investment in that way, and from me or from any anyone. That's uh, I'd, I'd love to, but it's a lot easier in other countries when to tour. Oh, I believe it doesn't it. cost as much. Huh. Are you, I mean, is there anyone of your ilk that you're friendly with? I mean, like, uh, another one of my favorite songwriters ever is Neil Finn, and you guys share some Beatlesque qualities, and I say that tongue-in-cheek because you know that makes me angry, but uh, you could go around opening for Neil Finn. He, he plays here all the time, you know, or somebody, something like that. Is there sort of a, mm. an appropriate, uh, maybe Joe Jackson, you know, or you mentioned well, Elvis Costello. These are guys who come here. They have big crowds. You could open for them if you're friendly with them. No. Well, that's what I. That's what I. That was my answer to the the agents that I talked to. So that's why. That's that's what I'm holding out for is that mm. kind of connection. Because I do remember on the uh, from Monday to Sunday when Kite was taking off, I did a K Rock Christmas tour that went all around the country, and I loved it. It was really good. good. Then at the, the finish of that, I think. A song called How Do You Live Without Sunshine was getting, mm -hmm. they, they called heavy rotation on K Rock at that time. And then there was a talk of going on tour with Crowded House. There you go. And I, so I was like, ah, oh, here we are. This is it. Yep. It's happening. Then it was like, okay, the, no tour. Again, haven't got enough money to pay for, for the support yeah. slot. Um, come back. And I, was, and I said, well, it's really good. How do you live without sunshine? is being played here on the, on the radio. And it was just like, oh, no, come back and do another album. So... So I think it's just uh, just didn't just didn't happen for some reason. Oh. Um, but again, it, like like now, I mean, I these guys are they do play. I mean, people play. I suppose I've just got to get an agent that sees that. What yeah. Just seen. And I see is is what an agent, but it's getting an agent yeah. that even knows who you are. Well, yeah, I'll be your agent. <laughs> I've never done it before, but I'd do anything to work for Nick Aord. Are you kidding? Well, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I would, 
Whatever I can uh, do to that, further the cause of Nick Hayward anywhere in the world, I would do it proudly. But I suppose that's why we're talking here, I suppose. Yeah. Now, and that's why things happen that way. And uh, Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Um, well, I, I, I would love. I mean, I'm, I'm, what, I, what I'm doing now is, is Sarah and I, because we are the record company. So yeah. we're thinking, uh, well, we could, we could just, I mean, we just drove from New York to Tampa. And we we went to Asheville, and mm. uh, well, we went to Washington, Asheville, Savannah, and here. And we thought, God, we could have done, we could have done gigs, you know, if we yeah. had a three-piece band, and we could play and do that, you know. Yeah. It's it's yeah. quite it would be really really enjoyable to do. So we're we're planning to do that, even if it isn't with a with an agent. We'll just do it ourselves and just go good. and play. Good. Okay. Yeah. Good. Well, I hope it happens. So just to clarify once again, because it was announced that you were part of Retro Futura. You are not a part of Retro Futura, or are you just not in the States? No, I'm just, I'm just, I just can't do that at all. That's okay. All. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well. Here in the States. Bummer. Okay. Well, um, so again, going back, not to dwell too heavily again on the business side of things, but when you step away for as long as you have, I know there were some projects with, Couple actors or actresses. One one of them, uh, the Mermaid and the and the what's the name of that album? Um, the Lighthouse Fever. Yes, I just found Was that recently. Yes, yes, that's it. Yes. Yeah. Fly away, fly Nice. The other one with the actor Ellis, Greg Ellis. I can't find that anywhere. I don't know what yeah. if that if that's even real. But yeah, that's pretty balmy. That's pretty out. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, because I can't find. I couldn't. I couldn't illegally download it. I couldn't find it on YouTube. I couldn't find a physical copy on Amazon. Um, but anyway, in these twenty years, I mean, does <laughs> does Love Plus One just pay your bills for without a problem for twenty years or? How do you how do you make things work and stay afloat during that during the downtime? Well, gigs. If I okay. do go out and play gigs, okay, it's just you know you can make that you can make that work. Okay. Uh, so That's I've been using the past to pay for the to pay for all the recording the and living. Sure. To, to, yeah, that's how this album was made, and I just thought, how am I going to do this if I don't have a record company? So that was the way to do it. Okay. These gigs the past and 
you know, but they don't they don't go anywhere. I mean, they just get you. I mean, probably the reason why I haven't been asked to play with, say, like Neil Finn or whatever, is probably because I've just done too many of those other gigs. Mm, maybe you get pigeonholed into being a nostalgia artist. Ah, uh, yeah. So, so it was like I had to. I thought my call's going to go, but I'll have enough money to pay to be an independent artist. And mm. I thought, well, I want to be an independent artist, and so I forfeited the cred for want of a better word because it, it does go. You know. Okay. You don't, you yeah, don't, well, you know, you know, I mean, Paddy McAloon uh, hasn't done them, and uh, there's lots of people. Lloyd Cole hasn't done them, and and so mm-hmm. you retain the element of I'm not gonna not gonna do them, but I yeah. don't know why maybe maybe I think it's, I think it's because their own gigs probably do well enough anyway. But, yeah, uh, probably. I, I didn't have that luxury, so I couldn't to pay for the for the recording and to for living. So. Yeah. Okay. Weird. Uh, when you look back, I mean, do you, no one likes to talk, I, I've noticed that no one ever wants to answer the favorite song of theirs question, but do you have, is there a moment or a, even a lyric or a groove or something in one of your, what moment are you most particularly proud of? And it could even be something like, you know, no one ever caught on to this before, but there's a moment in whatever song that I've always really loved. Is, what are some of those like? Because we like to sprinkle in some of the songs that we talk about on here, and uh, I'd be, I, th- I think it'd be interesting to hear what little moments you're most proud of, so we can play little bits of them in here. Okay, well, kite was is definitely yeah, that yeah. moment because it fell together so quickly and easily. Uh, and and it wasn't the normal way I recorded, so it was just it. You know, when I when I was playing the bass in the verse, because it's all I had was this metronome, you know, and I, it was uh-huh. that's all I had. Uh, when I said to Ian Shaw, who was recording it, you know, please can you just give me a beat? I, I want to play something before I go home uh, that I like. <laughs> uh-huh. I, I, I just wanted to do something, so he just he sent through and I just played to that and uh, and then so I played this the acoustic and, put, and made a sort of rhythm out of it and I thought ah oh, and, and then I went into the studio back into the booth and I said oh I'll put some acoustic on that and just sort of chugged along and ching 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 and then I picked up a little bit and then went and then I played a I thought, oh, I like this, Ian. I'll get my bass out, and uh, I'll go in and put some, I'll put some bass down. So we nearly did it in the control room. So I stood there with my 15-pound orange bass, which is a, a, a Telecaster Tokai coffee that I got from a studio once when a guy, I tried it, and I said, I really like this. And he said, really? I want to get rid of it. How much do you want for it? Not 15. And I went, okay, I'll take it. <laughs> so I had this, this bass, and I'd not changed the strings since I bought it years beforehand. Yeah. And it was, it was dull, but it was right. It sounded like Paul McCartney's Hoffner. It was really uh-huh. So anyway, it went to the verses, and I just played this one note, kind of... Uh-huh. And that little groove there that was going, that suddenly... I didn't know what I was going to do melodically at that point. I had no idea. I was just making music that I liked. 
and I thought, wow, this sounds lovely. It sounds kind of, sounds a bit like, uh, well, there you go again, you see, you want your freedom. Ah. I thought, oh, uh -huh. this is nice, and it sounds a little bit like Kate Bush or something. Yeah. I, mean, I couldn't put my finger on it, but I just thought, this sounds nice. And I was grooving away there and then got to the chorus and went and sort of played something that I thought, oh, and didn't know what I was playing, and then... And I took that, put it on a cassette, and I took it home. Woke up the next morning, and I had it on the cassette, having breakfast. And I put the cassette on, and I had my lyric book open at that point, which I never really did, but just had it open. And I thought, ah, and then over breakfast, I just literally, I had written down life's like that, uh, delicious with cause, I think it was. And I thought, oh, I, I like that. that. And so I was humming it over the beginning, and I thought, oh, that, that goes. And at breakfast, the whole of the, whole of the lyrics came right. right. at once. Uh, and I thought, well, I can't wait to go. I think I'll sing that when I get into the studio in the morning. So I arrived with, with Ian and had a cup of tea, and then I said, oh, I think I've got the vocal, you know. And he went, oh, great. Went in, sang it completely through. That, that was it. It just ah. went down. That was the first take. And I thought I was just going to go in there and see if it worked. And it just worked. And wow. it sung the out of the sky at the end. And that was it. It was almost finished, apart from the cello and other things. But yeah. any time I tried to put on lots and lots of instruments, it, it, didn't, it lost it. Uh, so that's why it's as sparse as it is, because I had okay. to kind of fight in the recording process for that. Yeah. For that, for it to not get filled in and uh, keep it this way. And Yeah. It's often as much what you don't do as what you do do in, in, exactly. in creative yeah. endeavors. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Okay. That, that song and that that one, the first verse, you know, and the, even the second one, it just the, the verse groove. It's just uh -huh. I love it. I didn't cool. know that there was going to be a chorus or anything. It was just yeah. There was a chorus that suddenly happened because because there was. It just okay. <laughs> wow, fascinating. Very, mm. Okay. Now, I have always been a fan of your Tangled album. I like that one a lot. Tingled. That's probably, yeah. <laughs> What's that? I like that. I like that. Did you say Tingled? No, I said Tangled. Oh, right. Okay. I like that. That must be your cold because I heard it as uh, oh, Tingled. <laughs> I thought, what a, that was, that's, it's the, it's the high energy, you know, pink version. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, it's Tangled. I, I hope I said, yes, K, Tangled. I, I hey, know. Tangled. Tangled, yes. Um, <laughs> that's classic. Um, <laughs> yes, I've always really liked that album. And I was listening, you know, I've been listening to the, so much of your stuff again recently to get ready to talk. And, you know, you take a song like Kill Another Day, which um, really rocks. i 
And that's not always, uh, you know, rocking hard like that. And even songs with kill in the title are not what you think about when you think of, like, you know, the romantic Nick Hayward. Not that you're a romantic, you know, Lothario type, but it's always mm. so sweet. Your music is usually so sweet and, uh, mm. and sort of poetic. Was that, were you exorcising some demons on a song like Kill Another Day? Was, was creation, I, I think, was, was Applebed the only one on creation or were you, um, was Tangled on creation too? Um, no, Tangled was on Sony. And oh, okay. Before, okay. Before the, before the Applebed and creation. But it's just that I'd, I had a Les Paul and I do have uh. and have always had rock. Like basic rock, yeah, in, inside of me. But I have not done it. Uh, I mean, funny enough, all this week I've been, I've, had, I've been playing with an SG. I bought an SG uh, standard, and I've got it through a Marshall combo in my room, and I've just been playing that nonstop. Uh huh. Yeah, thrills me. So there's definitely going to be an influence on the, the next album of okay. basic rock, because that's the stuff I was listening to. In the seventies. Uh-huh. Um, right. Here it is. I'm gonna... Here's the, here's what I've been playing all week. Okay. All week. <laughs> <laughs> Just out, that right there. <laughs> Sarah's ready to kill you. If yeah. I have to hear that riff one more time, you're out of the house. No, that's great. Well, there we go. It sounds like free. It sounds yeah. like, uh, you know, all right now or something. This is what is going to be up in store for Nick Hayward. That's great. Well, I must say, when I was growing up, I just, that was it. Before punk came out, I was just into real full-on basic rock. I loved it. Nice. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait to hear it. I think sometimes it gets lost that you are just as good a guitar player as you are uh, a songwriter, you know, going back to Woodland Echoes, listening to a song like New Beginning, which is largely uh, you on a guitar. I think I have that right. I mean, is this you sort of like reestablishing a claim of like, you know, I can be a musician too. Or do you, is there, does one bring you more joy than the other songwriting versus 
you know, noodling on the guitar? That that was just uh, my son and I in his bedroom. Oh. Uh, and and India, from India Dupre, Mermaid and Lighthouse mm-hmm. Keeper, had said, could you do some music for uh, my film? And so that was Ollie and I sitting in a room and me just thinking, okay, music for film. Mm-hmm. So press record and and I started to play guitars. I don't think I'd even tuned it up, actually. It should have been in tune a lot more, I think. The strings were a bit dead, too, huh. But uh, in, in hindsight. But it, it did add to the carefreeness. It, I, don't, I don't know how that's, it came together, but that's just yeah. uh, playing on guitar and making something, you know, thinking about, you know, India yeah. and uh, the, 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 the essence of India, which is, you know, if everybody ever meets her, she's an incredibly sweet person. She's like a bundle of naivety and innocence. And it's, she always reminded me of, uh, well, my mother but, and, and father. And, and so, because we've been through a relationship together, uh, that's why it was called mm. the beginning, because it was, it was like, um, it's like the birth of, of a new, and a, the, my father's, uh, when he died, Ollie and I put together the program, the pamphlet for it, and we put mm. in the end of it, New Beginning, uh, when he when he died right at the end. So that's why that song is named after that and has oh. that of that. And Interesting. So it's just because there was what, you know, what could you call it? And yeah. Sometimes death and the reaction to death and the passing is, is you're speechless. Yeah. You, you, there are no words describe it and I remember you know getting up at his funeral and trying to say something and be profound and I just banged my head on the microphone and sort of um, <laughs> yeah and, uh-huh. and then just and it hit my mouth uh, <laughs> and, and then I sort of like looked up at everybody and started crying <laughs> uh, of course. so you know actions yeah. speak louder than words sometimes when you think yeah. you're going to be really you think what you think is not actually what actually yeah. happens Words has left the building, so sure. But with, with that song, it was just uh, playing guitar, which is where it all starts. Yeah, good. Okay, it's beautiful. Yeah. The whole album is beautiful. Um, okay, I could keep you for another hour just talking about you know stories and because '80s alternative, especially British alternative music, is just my very favorite. And so you're right there in the thick of it. But I want to know some of your best stories. When you sit back in Tampa at your girlfriend's house, or maybe it's your house now, I don't know for sure, but when you sit back and you're walking on the beach in Tampa or whatever, is there a beach in Tampa, or is that too inland? I can't remember. Uh, yeah, there is one. Um, okay, good, good. Okay, so it keeps, with the, it keeps with the visual of what I'm trying to accomplish here. So when you're walking <laughs> along the beach and you're thinking about, I've been at this for almost 40 years and it's been a good ride, what are some of the tastiest memories that you have that come to mind? It, maybe it's finishing a song. Maybe it's meeting a hero of yours. Um, whatever it might be, playing in front of a big crowd or a good crowd or three people. What is that tasty memory? Well, there's, there's been quite a few. In fact, one I was thinking of the other day, and I, I was walking to the kitchen, and I think I said to Sarah, I played with Paul Willer. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and I'd, I'd, I'd totally forgotten that I'd done this. It was in the it was in the nineties, and uh, I was touring 
with, and I think it was like Teenage Fan Club and the Catherine Wheel. Oh, nice. And we were playing up in Buffalo at this tiny little club that was, I think it was like called the Vortex or something, but it looked, or it looked like the Vortex. And it had a bar, and Paul Weller was coming in to play on that gig as well. So it was going to be myself, Paul Weller, Teenage Fan Club, and Catherine Will. And I'd known Paul a little bit when we first started, but I, I, didn't, I didn't know him well, and I didn't sort of meet up with him well. So this was going to be meeting up with Paul. Uh-huh. Great. And uh, so when he arrived and we were all doing sound checks and it was all nice and everything, and he said, uh, you know, do you want to do a song together? <laughs> and I went, yeah, right. You know, he said, do you know, <laughs> do you know, uh, that's entertainment. And I said, come on, easy. Yeah, I'd do it. Yeah, said, of course just, I do. Just to sing tonight without, like, going over the lyrics and stuff. There's, like, thousands of lyrics on that song. Uh-huh. Um, what about Beatles songs? So we both knew Dr. Robert. And mm-hmm. so we said, let's do Dr. Robert. And something, I think we did something else. It could have been uh, Ticket to Ride or Nowhere Man or so, something. Maybe. Uh, da, da. Yeah, something else. Anyway, so um, we got on stage with acoustics and we're playing together. And the microphone was, because we're sitting down, I was, as I was singing, the microphone wasn't tightened up. Uh-huh. And it was slipping, slowly slipping, <laughs> down, and more down, and more down, and more down. So it was almost on my knees. Uh-huh. And I had to keep, still keep singing, and there was no road guy, you know, backstage, uh-huh. sort of like come in and adjust it, or they just weren't looking at the time or something. And it was, and it was that moment where you think, I'm not going to ruin this, because this is a moment with me. I'm, I'm on stage <laughs> singing with Paul Weller. I'm not going to stop the song and adjust the microphone. So I'll just go with it until I just look, look like the hunchback kind of thing of not to die uh-huh. I got to the end of the song. <laughs> oh, it's great. Oh, man. Yeah. But that was, that was something I'd totally forgotten. It's just yeah. one of those things, you know. Yeah. I, I, was it, was it, he yeah. a musical hero of yours? Who who would be one oh, of your God, yeah. like top, who are some of your top couple musical heroes? Uh. Andy Partridge, XTC, mm-hmm. uh, David Byrne. Um, I still follow the both of them yeah. on social media. Know what know what they're all doing and what they're yeah. getting into and up to. And I had Dave Gregory from XTC on here uh, this, a few months ago, and he was I don't know if you know him. He was such a nice guy. It's a, it's unfortunate that that yeah, it's unfortunate that that band had so many restrictions in terms of like touring and sort of being, I love Andy too, but being sort of reliant on everyone, you know, Andy being in the mood to write and Colin and Andy getting along. And, uh, you know, there's a Dave being sort of the, the quiet middleman, just tell me where to be and what to do and I'll do it. You know, it's too bad. There's yeah, more that, couldn't have come from that relationship. I mean, there was a lot, wasn't there? There was a lot yeah. of albums. From that and then it ended I mean, and then that was it. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I you know, it's funny because I everybody would love to hear Andy's songs just because he records. He's still yeah. right, brilliant. He's gifted in so many ways. Just just to listen to him speak is is yeah. just, as, just as entertaining as listening absolutely. to his music. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> but yeah. uh, 
you know, making the music and sharing it is really a lot easier nowadays. And so, you know, yeah, everybody's waiting will. and for that, you know, that moment when he's just, oh, this is good. I'm sharing <laughs> stuff. You know. <laughs> right. Um, it doesn't have good. to be. It doesn't have to be a career anymore. You know, you can yeah. just kind of write, record, and share. Yeah, yeah, that's it. It's nice and simple. You have to let go of the 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 other stuff. But yeah. the other stuff does get in the in in the way, you know. Yeah. Well, uh, as you dictated earlier, it's not as easy yeah. as not as easy as it sounds to sort of oh let's go out and out and tour. Yeah. It's also because uh, you know I've, I've heard Andy in as well. He said I've I've seen a lot of the world. I don't really need to do that again. Mm. You know, it doesn't need to sort of go out and play and yeah he's and done it and he really likes his garden and he really likes. <laughs> You know, making yeah. stuff, and I totally get that. I mean, when you get to a certain age, you you just love your garden. You just <laughs> love your patch of, of right. land, and you yeah. love to have a routine. And if somebody said, "Oh, go out and play and do what you did when you were you know, twenty, thirty years ago," you'd think I mean, most people would go, "What?" You know, yeah, well, I couldn't be doing that. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Yeah, I understand. Well. Nick, uh, thank you so much for talking to me. If you can't tell, I love you a lot. I think you're uh, one of the greatest. Dylan. I really do. I think you're one of the greatest artists that have ever been, especially in these last, you know, in the modern rock era. And um, I'm really grateful you talked to me. And if I could turn uh, some of my listeners back on to you or your bands or your music or your albums or whatever, I've done my job. I think you're amazing. So thank you. Uh, that's, that is lovely, John. Much, yeah. much appreciated. You bet. The artist inside is squealing. <laughs> 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 well, I love that guy. So good. I'm glad. Thank you very right. much, sir. Have a good one. All right. Cheers, All right, John. I hope care. we get to meet you one day. Oh, are you kidding? If you're yeah. ever any, I live in Denver. If you're ever anywhere near within a few thousand, a couple thousand miles of here, I will find you and come see you. I would love that. Right. Let's do that, Denver okay. John. Let's do that. All right. I'd love John it. John Denver. Oh, sorry. You probably heard that. <laughs> no, you're the first. There you have it, Nick Hayward. Seriously, one of the best there's ever been. I think he's amazing. And he had so many fun, interesting things to say. I love that part about the bird seed. You know, if you don't want to attract certain birds, you don't lay those kind of that kind of bird seed. That was a really interesting way to look at that. I, I got to admit, I, I tried to kind of get in and get out of Haircut 100 uh, fairly quickly after hearing that because, you know, we, there's a story there, but it's only, you know, one part of the Nick Hayward story. There's so much more. So I hope you guys heard a lot of stuff that you liked in this episode. Please check it out, especially go get Woodland Echoes. Go get his first album, North of a Miracle. No joke, that thing is a masterpiece. Now, his last solo album, which came out in the late 90s, is called The Apple Bed, and it sort of got short shrift in here. We didn't talk about it as much. So I wanted to play a song from that album. We're going to do the reverse of what Nick said always happens, where you end the show with your most famous song, which also happens to be one of your old songs. We're going to, we're going to start the show with the famous old song, and we're going to end the show with a great, more recent song. This is Reach Out for the Sun from The Apple Bed. It's so good, okay? Now, guys, please, let's start something new here, okay? If you're not doing this already, if you like this interview, go let Nick know, okay? That's currency that's very valuable to us and to him 
and for you. Um, I, I worry that these people, you know, we want them to feel loved and respected and honored. We, we do this because we honor them and we love them. Please, if you heard this and you enjoyed it, go let him know. Hey, thanks. I heard you on The Hustle. You were great. I went and bought your album because it sounded really good. Let them know. Please communicate that kind of stuff. That's the currency. That's how people build careers. That's how podcasts get good guests. That's how we build relationships. It just matters, okay? So please, if you in your heart, just find time and, and make an effort to do that, please. Uh, quick uh, teaser for next week. We go in totally the opposite direction. He is the front man for a really good uh, 80s hair metal band, basically. They were fairly big, probably technically a one-hit wonder, but uh, they put out a couple albums in the late 80s and early 90s, and, uh, you know, when that genre went away, they sort of did too. Although he's really stuck it out, and he's got a new album to talk about. I think it's interesting. I hope you guys will too. So next week is 80s hair metal. You couldn't get any di more different. Huge thanks, as always, to my right-hand man, Jan the Man Makiewicz. Thank you, buddy, for everything you do. I love that we get to do this together. And uh, guys, if you don't, if you haven't done it already, please find us on Facebook. Like our page. Go into the archives. If you see a name, see who else we've talked to. Uh, the front man for your favorite band might be in there somewhere if you're new to the show. Go listen to it. Check it out. If you like the style, then keep expanding beyond that. Send us a message on Facebook or an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. We will see you guys next Tuesday.